0: I'm talking about ordinances. We're talking about the, the series on the church. Okay. So we've been talking about the church and I've been trying to, as your pastor, lay out, right, over these past several weeks, you know, having, trying to have a public conversation about what is church? What, what does it mean to be the church? We talked about the purpose of the church. We talked about the mission of the church. Uh, Pastor Ron did an excellent job talking about membership of the church and the worship of the church. Okay. I talked, we talked about the discipline of the church. And today I want to talk about the ordinances of the church. How do we obey Christ? Um, and we're going to look in Romans chapter 6. If you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn to um, Romans chapter 6. But the ordinances of the church are what? Well, we as Baptists, we call them ordinances, and we understand that Christ ordained, that's what an ordinance is, right? Christ ordained two things, two practices for the church to maintain throughout its life, and that is baptism and the Lord's Supper. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. These are two key functions of a church. They are what historically has been understood as as one of the important marks of a church. So one of the marks that is a group of people just a, a club? Is it just a Bible study or is it a church? Well, how do you know? Well, one of the historic marks of a church is that for it to be a church and not just a Bible study, they are functioning uh, with the ordinances and, and, and some kind of, at least, at least some kind of understood membership where they can function uh, with baptism, which is the initiatory rite of Christianity, and the Lord's Supper, which is the continuing rite and remembrance and worship of Christ, uh, through, through, uh, his uh, ordination of the Lord's Supper. First I want to talk about baptism and we're going to look at it from Romans chapter 6 beginning in verse 1. And if, if you're able and willing, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Romans chapter 6 beginning in verse 1. It says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us, So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. The word of God, you may be seated. Okay, so... um, Again, I I just want to explain as best I can, biblically and from a Baptist perspective. And by the way, I talk about Baptist life, but do you know I'm only Baptist because I believe the Bible teaches it? So I'm not Baptist to be Baptist, I'm Baptist because of the Bible. And if somebody can persuade me that the Bible teaches something contrary, I'm happy to change my mind. Now, baptism, of course, is important to Baptists. Right. Um, Because we believe that it is the core teaching of the Bible that sets us apart from other denominations. Okay, And we're convicted on the on biblical grounds because of this. And so that's what we hold to. All right. Um, uh, Denominations, of course, are divided over the issue of baptism and and uh, and there's lots of confusion around it. Uh, Catholics refer to baptism as a sacrament. Uh, Protestants, that means, you know, non-Catholic. Uh, Christians tend to shy away from the word sacrament because it has uh, too many connotations. Uh, but, but Catholics believe that baptism itself, so the physical act of baptism removes the stain of original sin. Okay, So that's what Catholics believe. So they believe that when they are baptizing, which, you know, sprinkling an infant, they believe that as an, as an act of the church by divine fiat, the physical act is cleansing that baby of original sin. That's what the Catholics believe. Okay? Protestants, so non-Catholic Christians, disagreeing here, which would include us, uh, we believe that um, baptism is something different. So what is baptism? Well, first thing is that baptism is the initiatory rite of Christianity. R-I-T-E. Rite. R-I-T-E. It's the initiatory rite of Christianity. It's the front door of the church right so when when Paul and the apostles and and the apostles were preaching uh, the gospel uh, and uh, they and when Peter preached the, preached the first sermon on the the day of Pentecost, and people the Bible says were cut to the heart, which means they were re- they were repentant over what they had done to Jesus, right and they said, what shall we do and they say and they say, baptize washing away your sins well what does that mean? well baptism. I would argue again was, was their public symbol of what was internally in their heart of saying we, we, we understand what we have done in sin and now we're turning from our sins and trusting in Christ as he commanded by following his commands in baptism. So baptism is the sign and the symbol that I'm now a following Jesus. Okay. That I'm now following Jesus. So one of the crucial questions and, I, and, and this is a crucial question for our church and, 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 I'm just, I want to explain my position on this. I I don't know if everyone agrees with me, but I just, I want to explain from the Bible what myself and what Baptists have historically believed about baptism, and hopefully we can, and hopefully they'll bring some clarity. I think the most important question we can ask, and a question that a lot of people are asking about baptism, is who is baptism for? Who is baptism for? Right? We. Every church has to answer that question, Right? I mean, I mean, we don't uh, like. Uh, I don't turn on my sprinkler. It's really hot, but uh, but I don't turn on my sprinkler and let kids run through the yard and say that I baptized them, right? Like there has to be. We got to under. There's got to be some kind of set understanding of what it is and what it's for and how we do it. The Baptist distinctive that makes Baptists different from Catholics, Orthodox, Presbyterians, Methodists, Episcopalians well, just about everybody, is that we believe that baptism is for believers. We believe that baptism is for believers. Matthew 28, 19, the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Who is the them? Who is the them? Disciples. Disciples make disciples baptizing them so who is being baptized the disi- the disciples but well, what's a disciple it's a follower it's a learner it's a follower okay so jesus is saying go and baptize people who follow me go make go go preach the gospel and when you preach the gospel you're making disciples people are going to follow me and when they follow me you baptize them okay it's the initiatory rite of christianity baptism is for believers in the text that we just read earlier romans chapter 6 in verse 3 and 4 there, Paul said, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Well, that's kind of dense, but but let's just let's just try to follow Paul's logic, okay? He's saying that He's saying that if we have been baptized into Christ, we were baptized into his death. Okay, so that's what Paul is saying. So what does that mean? What does it mean? What? Well, I think if you think about it, it's pretty clear. What does it mean to be baptized into Jesus' death? But then he goes on to say what? So that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So what is baptism? There are two things happening. There is a death and a Resurrection, Right? When we go under the water, what are we saying? We are saying that my old self has died. We have been baptized into what? Into Jesus' death. Um, uh, uh, Paul said what? What did Paul say? I have been crucified with Christ. Right? When he was converted, he said, I've been crucified with Christ. What does it mean? It means the old Paul, bless God, is dead. Was dead. The old Paul was dead. And what? Well, everyone who knew Paul knew that what? That a new Paul was showed up, you know? After Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, that old Paul was gone and a new Paul showed up. Well, what happened? Well, something supernatural happened. And that baptism was what? That baptism, Paul being baptized, was the symbol that the old Paul had died and that a new Paul has been raised to life in Jesus Christ. That we might, we have been buried with Christ and raised to walk in the newness of life. So what is Paul saying? Paul's saying that's what baptism is, right? And he's talking to the Romans, and he's saying that what? If you've been baptized, He and uh, remember, right, he's saying, he's saying, hey, he's not, he's not charging them with anything. He's saying he's just making argument. Hey, you've been baptized. What does that mean? It means your old self is dead. It means new spiritual life is at work in you right now. So that means what? So that means that we don't keep on living the way we used to live because you're not you anymore. That you is dead, so we don't live that way anymore. Right? That's his argument. His argument is what? That baptism is, is, signifies that a fundamental, supernatural change has been made in a person's life. And so when a person is baptized, what is, what, what are they saying and what are we as a church saying? We are saying that this person has spiritually died and has been raised to new spiritual life and we are signifying that publicly by baptism. So why is this text, I think, in particular, determinative for Baptist belief about baptism? Because because it because this text tells us what baptism is, right? If if we can agree that baptism is uh, that signifies that an internal miracle has taken place in a person's heart, right? If that's what baptism is, Then that means we, and this is, and what Baptists have historically understood then, is that we should not put that symbol on somebody if that actual internal change has not actually happened to them, right? Because then what we're saying is that we're saying that something has happened to this person that we're, we don't, we're not sure has actually happened, right? And so, and so, Christians have understood that it is, that, or Baptists have understood, right, that if this is what baptism is, it only makes sense then to put the symbol of baptism on someone who can actually, who can actually identify with what the action is doing. They can actually personally say, I know that I've been, that my old self is dead and that new spiritual life is alive in me. Right? And when we baptize someone as a church, we as a church are affirming that that is in fact the case. Okay? And so, and so th- this has broader implications, right? As Ron, as Ron talked about, uh, with membership, right? If baptism is the initiatory rite of Christianity, okay, when we baptize somebody, then we are, we are by definition bringing them into the membership of the church. All right. And the reason why, again, bat, this, for Baptists, right? This is a whole system. It's a whole system that, that interlocks together, right? So if we're, If we're accepting somebody into the church, all right, and by 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 baptizing them, we're acknowledging that they have been born again, okay, and that they and that as a born again believer, they possess the Holy Spirit, and that they and that that person now along with us has the capacity to discern the Holy Spirit together with us as a church, which is why we vote on things as a church. Because we believe that the church together has the ability to discern the Holy Spirit because we are all possessors of the Spirit, right? Which is why we, which, but if, so this is very important for Baptists since we are congregational, which means, which means unlike many other churches, there are things that we vote on that lots of churches don't vote on, right? That's important because when we baptize a person and bring them into a member, well, guess what? They now get a vote in the church, which means functionally that they now are serving in the leading and direction of the church, right? And so that's why this has always been so important to Baptists, right? Which is why if you think about it, like the Catholic Church has a hierarchy and they baptize babies, but guess what? It's the Pope and the cardinals and the priests who decide which direction the church goes, right? Even in the Presbyterian Church, if they vote on things, I don't think they vote on many things. The 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 I think that I think the person has to be. Um, uh, you know, they might baptize a baby, but that person that that baby eventually has to be like confirmed, right? There's like a c- confirmation process, right? And so, but and so it's kind of like letting, it's kind so they're letting people in, but kind of like not letting them in. <laughs> but what what we as Baptists are saying, if we're going to let them in, let them in. But let's do let's do the work to make sure, to the best of our ability, that they understand the gospel, have repented of their sins, and trusted in Christ. Okay. And so that's why that's why baptism is closely tied with church membership because it's the initiatory rite of Christianity. It admits persons to membership who, in we as Baptists, believe in the priesthood of all believers. I'm not a spe- pastors. I'm not a special class of Christian. God calls everyone to the same standards of righteousness and holiness. I might have a little more accountability than you do, but God calls us all to the same things. There's no special class of Christian. That's a, that's another core Baptist thing. We believe in the priesthood of all believers. So every believer, every believer has the responsibility to exercise their gifts in love and service to the church. Okay. But, and, and, and so, and so that's why it's so important. That's why baptism is so important. Okay. Another confusion about baptism that I think is important again is that many people think maybe because of Catholic influence that baptism is some kind of magical saving right. Okay. And that. And that as long as they're baptized, they're okay. And, you know, and I just want to, and, and I think if we understand and if we agree with what we've said so far, you know, that, then that's not true. But it does create a lot of confusion, right? It does create a lot of confusion. Um, I think we have to admit, I think, I just think, I think there's no way around it. I think we have to admit that there are a lot of people who have been baptized Who aren't saved. I don't think that's I don't think that's being judgmental. I think it's just acknowledging what Jesus Himself said in Matthew chapter 7, that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And so it's not being judgmental, or else Jesus was judgmental. It's 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 acknowledging what Jesus said that not everybody. So not just not everyone says, Lord, Lord, we'll enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not, it's not a magical, it's not a magical right, but they, and this is evidenced by the fact that in many, perhaps most Baptist churches, our membership role vastly exceeds those who actually function as members. Why? We have to ask why, right? And I think if we love, we, and I think we have to love people's souls enough to say, I just think we have to love people's souls enough to say, hey man, if, if, if you haven't been to church in six months and I, I'm, I'm seeing some of the things you post on Facebook and they're not very Christ-like, I think we as a church, if they're a member of our church, we should be willing to say, hey, friend, is everything okay? What's going on? You know? I mean, if we love people's souls enough, we should be able to do that, right? I talk, I, I share this story a lot and I've shared it here multiple times, but I do think it's important. You know? I talked to a kid, a student in Albert, Alabama one time. And we, and we were walking, you know, and I was trying to share Christ with him. And in the conversation, he more or less rejected literally all the basic things, all the basic core beliefs that Christianity has believed for 2,000 years. Okay? He basically rejected those things. He wasn't, he either rejected them or just wasn't interested in them. Okay? And, and that became very clear throughout the conversation. The core beliefs of Christianity, he rejected. Okay? And, and I, you know, and I could tell the conversation really wasn't going any well, and that's okay, you know. I, it was a good conversation, and he was willing to talk with me, and I was grateful for that. And so I, I go to leave, but then as I'm leaving, he stops me, he kind of stops me and says, hey, hey, but hey, I was baptized. So I'm good. He literally told me that. Is Is is. Is that right? Was he good? Well, somebody led him to believe that he was. And so I do think it is important for us as a church, you know, not to, not, we're we're not, we don't want to set the bar any higher than God does. We can't do that. But I think we do have to be very aware that it's a very dangerous thing to give someone a false assurance of salvation. And that's why it's so hard to share the gospel with people here in Dodge County. If you've ever tried it, it's really hard because you gotta get them lost before you can get them saved. Because everybody thinks they're going to heaven when, again, Jesus said you'll know them by their fruit. If you just look at the fruit of their lives, it's evident that they're living in open and continual disobedience to the commands of Christ. And so, and so, It's, it's an important thing. It's a hard thing. It's something that takes some courage. It's something that, it's something that Baptists have believed for a long time that we, that we believe according to scripture, it's the right thing to do to, to, um, to understand what baptism is and, uh, to be careful with. This is the, the fact that that is the case is the, is it, is evidenced in our own constitution. Um, let's put that up there please, Wayne, in our, in our existing Constitution right now. It says the qualifications there, which means qualifications for membership. It says the membership of this church shall consist of such persons as confess Jesus Christ to be their Savior and Lord who, after due examination by the church as to their Christian experiences and if coming from other churches as to their letters of dismissal and recommendation or satisfactory substitutes thereof, Having been accepted by vote of the church and having been scripturally baptized into its covenant. But number one there, I think, is most important, right? This is the uh this is the uh this is the this is the the Baptist doctrine because we believe it's biblical, right? That the church has a responsibility to examine someone's Christian experiences before uh admission to uh membership, uh for all the reasons we just talked about. Okay. And so baptism is the initiatory rite of Christianity. It's important but it, it doesn't magically save. It is the public witness of the church. You know? Um, it's the public witness of the church. Um, you know, you, you might, some of you might not feel the same way that I do, but it's burdensome to me if I baptize somebody and then a few years down the road they're just living in open rebellion to Christ. That's burdensome to me. It's burdensome to me as a pastor. Um, it doesn't mean that we'll always get it right, but in fact, more often than, I mean, it's much, it's vastly more likely that someone will get in that's not saved than will be kept out that really is saved. It's, 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 and by the way, baptism doesn't save you anyway. So if you're saved, it's not going to hurt you one way or the other. But I just think it's, a, it's, a, it's what Baptists have understood the Bible to teach. And for the health of the church, Especially Baptist churches, it is important to guard that that the membership as believers, what was called regenerate church membership, born again believers, as members of our church. Okay, so number one, what is baptism? It's the initiatory rod of Christianity. Number two, what's the Lord's what's the Lord's supper? That's the second question I want to ask, and we're going to talk about this from First Corinthians chapter eleven. Uh, I encourage you to turn there a few pages to the right in your Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse uh, 20 and following. So these are the two ordinances, right? These are the two practices that that Jesus ordained for the church to practice, baptism and the Lord's Supper, okay? So this is an important passage on the Lord's Supper from 1 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 20, okay, verse 20. It says, um, when you come together... It is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you know? What? Does your translation say that? What? (laughs) What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup and after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Okay, so we've we've talked about baptism, and now we're talking about the Lord's Supper. So I just want to talk from this uh, passage quickly a few things that the Lord's Supper is. Number one, is the Lord's Supper is a time of communion. The Lord's Supper is a time of communion. Many, another term that we use for the Lord's Supper is communion, right? Well, what does communion mean? Communion means to enjoy intimate fellowship with someone. Enjoy intimate fellowship with someone. The Lord's Supper, so it is, what is, what is, notice what he says there in verse, um, 20, right? When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat for an eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. So it's clear then that it seems that the Lord's Supper in the early church was partaken as part of a meal. Okay. And, but what Paul, what, yeah, what Paul's saying here is that the, the way in which they were doing that was wrong. Right? Because what was happening, what was happening in the, the fellowship of the people? Well, you had people showing up. All right. And some people were just eating and, Getting drunk and gorging themselves on the food. And then the other, most likely poorer people coming in, they didn't have anything left for them. And Paul's saying, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna commend you on that. No, I'm not. That's not the Lord's Supper that you're eating. Right? That's not how it is. There's no communion there. There's no communion there. All right? Part of the Lord's Supper is it's a time of communion that Christ's work has done what? Christ's work has taken people of of all different times and places and cultures and differences, and he has taken them and he has united them in himself by repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. As I always say, right, if we got nothing in common, if we have Jesus in common, we have everything in common. If we have Jesus in common, we have everything in common because Jesus is everything. Christ has saved the people for himself by bringing them out of darkness into the marvelous light. He has called a people of all nations and united them under his broken body and his shed blood. Okay? So the problem at Corinth was that they were being totally inconsiderate of other people. And Paul says, that's not communion. That's not the Lord's Supper. So number one, the Lord's Supper is a time of communion. Number two, the Lord's Supper is a memorial of Christ's work. He said... What did Jesus say? He said, do this in remembrance of me. It's a memorial of Christ's work. Christ instituted the Lord's Supper primarily as a memorial. It's an enacted, vivid reminder. It's an enacted, vivid reminder of what Jesus Christ has done for us. When we take the, I don't know, you can't really call it bread, but you know, like the, the unleavened bread, right? The way for the cracker, right? The, 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 the crushing of it between the teeth. The, the bitter taste of the juice. What is that? It's, it's a vivid, it's, it's, it's sensory. All your senses are engaged as we're what? As we're dwelling on what Jesus did for us. His body broken. His blood bitterly shed. For what? For us. For us. That's what the Lord's Supper is. The Bible said the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then Jesus took his flesh and just allowed it to be broken for us. The Lord's Supper is what? It's a reminder of that. It's a memorial of that. It's a sensory experience of of that. Of Christ's broken body and his shed blood for us. Right? And so, it's a memorial of Christ's work in a powerful way, number two. Number three, third thing the Lord's Supper is, is the Lord's Supper is the celebration of the new covenant. The Lord's Supper is the celebration of the new covenant. I read Jeremiah 31 earlier. In verse 25, in verse 25 there, Paul says, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So, what's fascinating is that the new covenant is not explicitly mentioned. In fact, on Jesus' lips, as far as I know, I think this is like the only place where the new covenant is explicitly mentioned, okay? Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Now, uh, you know, I believe a proper understanding of the biblical covenants is crucial to a proper reading of the Bible. And so if you remember, if you go back, I preached a sermon series called I think it was called Journey Through the Bible. And I walk through the biblical storyline to kind of show how all the pieces fit together and how, Jesus, and how it's just telling one big story, right? The covenants are the key to that. The old covenant, as we talked about, as we read earlier, right? What was the problem with the old covenant, right? What was the problem with the Jewish old covenant, right? It was this, right? It, it told them what sin was, It it exposed how they were wrong and rebellious, but what didn't it do? It didn't change their hearts, right? It didn't change their hearts. The new covenant was incomplete and insufficient because it, it wasn't bad, it was just incomplete. Because it told them what was wrong, but it didn't fix what was wrong, right? And so... The, 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 the old, the problem wasn't the law, the problem was Israel's inability to keep the law, right? They were hard-hearted, stiff-necked, and rebellious, okay? So Jesus came to do what? To bring in a new covenant. To bring in a new covenant, right? And just like in the old covenant, just like in the old covenant, when, when Moses took the book of the law, if you remember what happened, they killed Bulls and gut. Go- they killed animals and they took the blood of the covenant and sprinkled it on the book and on the people. You remember that? They sprinkled the blood because the covenant had to be ratified in blood. Jesus is saying this, this is the blood of the new covenant. My blood, it will be shed to make this covenant complete, to make this covenant secure, to ratify the covenant, the new covenant of God, to deal, to not just point out the problem of humanity but to fix the problem of humanity. Let me read you another passage about the New Covenant from Ezekiel 36. He says, I'll take you from the nations and I will gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. And I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. From all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of Stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And you shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. What's the new covenant? It's God fixing the problem by changing you from the inside out. If you have the spirit of God, if you have been born again, you are, you are a citizen of the new covenant. You are a recipient of the blessings of the new covenant because God has come into your life and he's taken out your old heart and he's given you a new one, right? This is the new covenant and it was brought into reality by Jesus Christ. Number four, next thing the Lord's Supper is, is it's a time of self-examination. It's a time of self-examination. Let a person examine himself, Paul says, verse 28, and then eat of the bread and drink of the cup for if anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body he drinks judgment upon himself if you still have your scripture open you can look in verse 30 there Paul says if anyone verse 29 and 30 he says if anyone eats and drinks without discerning the body he eats and drinks judgment on himself that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died okay so I just we just we have to think about that Paul literally is saying that because some people Took the Lord's Supper irreverently, God killed them. Okay. So, what is that? Let me tell you something. Church is not a joke. Amen. We're not playing games here. This is life, death, heaven, hell, eternal realities. People die because they dishonor the Lord. Hebrews 10.31 It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's a privilege to partake of the Lord's Supper. But it's not something we take lightly. This is this is this is the function of the church the temple of God What we do here matters it matters to God So the Lord's Supper is a time of self-examination and in finally number 5 the Lord's Supper is anticipation of Christ's return In verse 26 there Paul says for as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes Jesus said that he would not partake of the the fruit of the vine until he per- Till I partake it with you again in the coming kingdom. This is my fa- one of my favorite aspects of the Lord's Supper, because uh, Jesus essentially is saying, one day we're going to partake it with Him. And you know, every time we take the Lord's Supper, I just—it's my favorite thing to say. Maybe next time with Jesus. You never know. You know, the sky could split open right now. and I'd be okay with that. Man, It'd be great. the sky just split open right now and Jesus came back for us. Maybe next time with him. Baptism and the Lord's Supper, these are the ordinances of the church. They're important. They're given to us by Jesus. They're not to be taken lightly. They're good, they're beautiful, they're true. But we have to um, be responsible with the gifts that the Lord has given us. Let's pray together. Jesus Christ, thank you for your mercy on, on me, on our church. Thank you that you loved us in spite of our, our, sins and our shortcomings and our failures. And even though our heart was so hard, so hard, God, you, you came in and you took it out and you gave us a new one at the, at the cost of your, the cost of your own life. Thank you, Lord, for that, for that gift. And I pray God that you would help us as a church to stand by you, to stand on you, to rest in you, to take these gifts of, of the ordinances that you have given us and to steward them for your glory and praise. And God, we do pray, we do pray King Jesus that, or well, we just tell you, we tell you right now, Lord, that we eagerly wait for and expect and hope The day that we'll get to see you face to face. We love you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.